Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as... On this episode, it's Pro Stocks Kyle Koretsky and Nitro Funny Cars, J.R. Todd. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're talking to those guys in the midway point of the regular season of NHRA drag racing. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here for the NHRA Insider Podcast, back with our post-epping show. Not quite a pre-Bristol show yet because we'll do that next week, but my goodness, what an incredible weekend of drag racing at New England Dragway in Epping, New Hampshire. Obviously, I am highly biased when it comes to that facility and its uh, role in my life, but what it is something that I take so much love and pride in when, one, I get to see a lot of my friends win national events, people that I witnessed and called racing on a weekly basis at Epping, uh, basically cleaning house up there over the course of the weekend which was spectacular but really even more spectacular than that two days of sold out crowds I mean this place was wall-to-wall people and yes I know it's not the biggest venue on the tour but that's part of its charm part of the charm of New England Dragway is the fact that it is tight quarters that it is close quarters that it is a more intimate space to go watch a drag race than a giant say 30,000 40,000 seater that we fill up at other points during the year it's a unique experience we had loads of our Canadian friends fans and racers back which was great and I think the the lasting impression I will have uh, from this 2022 New England Nationals is the number of racers I spoke to on Sunday afternoon before I drove back to my house, which is a weird uh, thing to do for me when we go racing. It's a one a year, once a year proposition on the NHRA tour for me. Um, how many of the racers were blown away by the fact that the fans were thanking them for being there? They were being thanked for coming to compete. They were being thanked to, sh- to for showing up and for racing at New England Dragway in New Hampshire. And if nothing else, that, that really, to me, encapsulates what is special about that place. And I'm not saying that not all of our fans appreciate us going to race, but there, there are not that many places where the racers are thanked multiple times by gazillions of people for competing and putting on a great show. Um Obviously, we saw some things up there that we have seen before. We saw Erica Enders win again, and she is looking, you know, to a degree almost unassailable right now in pro stock. We saw Matt Hagen and Robert Height match up in the final round. And to me, this is shaping up to be um, one of the great all time two man battles in Funny Car. Could it change? Will it change by the end of the season? Most likely, because things do change. When we go to a Bristol, which is coming up next, a much different surface, uh, maybe things change there. When we go to the the boiling hot races of the midsummer, maybe things change there. But as of right now, through this first half of the regular season, we have this this battle going on in Nitro Funny Car that is just awesome to watch. The, the two you know, really heaviest swinging teams to some degree in terms of their ability to lay down horsepower and numbers, just trading body blows back and forth on a race to race basis. It, it, it's an, it's just awesome to watch. And the nature of funny car racing being what it is, it's not even predictable. It's not like, well, we know who's going to the final this week until they get there. That's what makes the buildup and so much fun to me until they actually get there. 
you don't know if they're going to get there. There's no there's no huge performance advantage they're holding over the rest of the field. They're holding big points advantages over the rest of the field when it comes to the top 10 because of their success. But on a week-to-week basis, they are earning their way to these final rounds and, and earning the right to go in there and just throw haymakers at each other down the drag strip. So um, it has been and will continue to be. I don't see it abating uh, you know, anytime soon, but you never know what happens. I just think that this is... Um, this could be one for the history books by the time we get all the way back to Pomona, California in November with half of the regular season and the entire countdown yet to run. Certainly ample opportunity for changes. Mike Salinas grabbing another win. Mike Salinas passing Steve Torrance into points to pull up behind Brittany Force and get within a couple of rounds, I believe a round and a half of her. I think he's only 30 points out of first right now. Um, that story is is amazing and great in its own right. It is a multi-layered Story. You have Mike Salinas himself, who is, again, we talk about his turnaround of, of the starting line back in 21. You know, we've brought it up on the show, and he's brought it up himself. The car is hunting around down track. There is something that's going to need to to advance or to change or to evolve as far as him wrangling the car down the racetrack. But as of yet, it's really not hurt him that much. Uh, he's continuing to win races. And you think about, let's say that car picks up a hunt or two on average, minus the steering inputs and it becomes even more difficult to beat so that whole story is great the the idea of how that team was kind of came together in the offseason with his crew deciding to stay in indiana his crew deciding to stay with mike and then bringing on rob flynn to to lead the crew to lead the tune-up and to lead the charge and for for what what it's worth for what we have seen it is apparently a match made in heaven and I think the consistency of the mechanical work being done in that car is on the level of Brittany. It's on the level of Steve. Um, that crew, to me, and I say this because we've given, we've not gotten any evidence otherwise, is world class and championship caliber. Not that they weren't before, but they certainly are now. We don't see that car making mistakes. We don't see things happening with that car. We don't see failures. We don't see we don't see leaks, runs, drips, or errors. What we see is a car that is prepared properly at the starting line, a tune-up that has been uh, worked with, massaged on, and and frankly evolved with Rob Flynn. And that tune-up so far has has shown its teeth in various ways. It's shown its teeth as being a strong qualifier. It's shown its teeth as being adaptive to a 110, 115-degree racetrack. And, you know, the the idea of, of what Top Fuel looks like this year, certainly more wide open than Funny Car. There are premier cars in the category. I'd put Justin Ashley there. I would put Mike Salinas there. I'd put Brittany there. There are cars that we are expecting to to make advancements, and that seem to be incrementally. And I'm talking about Sean Langdon and J.R. Todd, or Sean Langdon and, and Doug Coletta, rather, in the top fuel side of things. We've seen those cars, and yes, they haven't won a race yet, but what they have done is they've started consistently going some rounds. They've started consistently running in the high 60s, and you know it's it's doing, in my opinion, it's doing what we expected it to do as far as you know, things evolving and coming together. Maybe we thought it would happen by the fourth race. Maybe we thought it would happen by the fifth race, but it certainly does appear to be happening by race eight. And there is still ample time for those teams to go out there and and run roughshod through the fields, which they really need to do to position themselves better uh, in terms of countdown. But they have, you know, a bunch of races before we get to Indy and and that really becomes the, the, the primary focus. Um, 
obviously there are some teams that are underperforming our expectations. They're, they're Antron Brown is underperforming his expectations. They're frustrated. They're working hard, and he steps on the throttle at Epping, and the thing puts a cylinder out the instant he steps on the gas. And he was running on seven cylinders down the racetrack, and and that didn't get the that didn't get the job done. We saw Leah advance out of the first round, and unfortunately for her, a 125 light was really her undoing in the second round. And if there is a single car and driver combination that could be instantaneously more frightening, it's them. And, you know, we've seen it happen with Brittany and David Grubnick. We've seen their alignment this year. We've seen her alignment in the car with his alignment in the tune-up and their consistency. And we've seen what that's resulted in. It's resulted in, so far, three victories for her, the best start of a season she's ever had. And to me, that Dodge Power Broker's top fuel car has all the pieces. And it's just the pieces are are sitting in, in two boxes right now. And once you take those pieces and put those pieces together, you have that same style of race car that we're seeing out of a Salinas, that we're seeing out of a Justin Ashley for the most part, certainly that we're seeing out of Brittany Force. And it may be good for everybody else that it hasn't happened yet. Um, certainly not good for that team and certainly not good for Leah and, and Neil Strasbaugh and the work they put into Mike Damagala and everybody else that's just working their hands to the bone every week on that car. But in terms of the rest of the field, um, it is a car that if and when, and I think it's more emphasis on the when, things do fall into alignment, that they become immediately troublesome. I mean, that car goes down the racetrack. There is there is one of the things that, that we, you know, we, when we look at our data between rounds, or rather between races, we look at things that maybe we don't have time to, to- fully develop on the TV show. We talk about some of this stuff as, as statistics. We talk about you know, with graphics and how the car is going down the racetrack. Well, in terms of full throttle runs, that car is in the top four of making it to the end of the racetrack with the driver having their foot down. And so really, once they get more runs and once they get more runs that result in wind lights on Sunday, the game changes, I think, in a lot of ways. That is a car that could really make a run at it. And we have basically 12 or 13 cars that are that are that are full-time in the top fuel category, if you will. Um, and the rules still state that if you show up to every race and you make every qualifying session, then you will, in fact, be part of the countdown. We have seen one person win it from 10th. That was Robert Height one year. Um, but winning it from a 12th place perspective, if you will, somewhere in that zone, seems fanciful to think about. Everything that would have to happen the magic that would have to happen, the the failures that would have to happen in front of you to allow yourself to be in contention when the last race of the season comes up. Not saying it's impossible, but you really, really need to be as high as you can, especially in top fuel this year, for the countdown points to, to really have a, a factor in it. And unless something just earth-shattering happens between now and the end of the U.S. Nationals and, and people lose their way or falter very badly. And in pro stock, I mentioned Eric Anders, who is just mowing them to pieces. I mean, it's it is, in my opinion, she does not have an equal right now, in in terms of in terms of repeatable performance, uh, in terms of repeatable ET, in terms of repeatable anything, um, and that is certainly certainly a testament to her. And, you know, the Elite Motorsports Group is giving everybody the same engines. We talk to those guys. They run the dynos. Every engine that goes out to those teams is within within minuscule amounts of horsepower, within within ineffectual amounts of horsepower, meaning 
not even high single digits like low single digits. These engines are carbon copies of each other in so many ways, but it is two things after that. Once you bolt the engine in the car, it comes down to two very overarching things. It, it turns into chassis tuning and it turns into driver consistency. And, you know, if, if the chassis is a little off and that costs you a hundred two, okay. If the driver's a little off with the shifts, either early or late, and that costs you a hundred two, okay. And now we're 500 behind against Erica, against anybody. That's the nature of pro stock. It is the finite precision. And I would argue it's her finite precision behind the wheel that has been the major decider here. And I don't think, uh, I do not believe at all that she has more than anybody else in the elite motorsports camp in terms of power. I don't believe that you're seeing a car that is, uh, you know, beyond what other people have capability of doing. I just think you're seeing a car that is getting the most out of every single run. Mark Ingersoll, brilliant man. And uh, not much more needs to be said about what Eric can, can do behind the wheel. So um, I still think we're going to see Greg Anderson, you know, bust out of the cage at some point. I think he's, uh, you know, kind of the old uh, David Banner, you know, Incredible Hulk situation. Don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. I think Greg's getting a little angry at this point. Um, he's a defending champion. And I don't feel as though he's, I don't feel as though in his heart, he's certainly not where he wants to be. And I do feel as though they will get there because that's what champions do. You never count out a champion in any situation, in any sport, and at least in my own personal philosophy, because it is the knowledge of getting there once, or in the case of Greg, uh, winning 100 races in his life. It's the knowledge of that that at times is, is beyond the value of anything else. Knowing how to do it and doing it are two different things, but knowing how to find something that may have slipped out of your grasp is, is a unique characteristic that really is uh, unique to champions, whether we're talking about tiddlywinks, bowling, boxing, or drag racing, that championship mentality is something that uh, you can't teach somebody and something that in a time of need, it allows you to fall back upon and, and, and dig from. So uh, Epping Race was just all the way through great. Thank you to all the fans that came out. If you're if you're a fan that was at Epping and listening to The Insider, just thanks again. Thursday, I did a winging it with Ron at a place called Bentley Saloon in Arundel, Maine, owned by a guy named Bentley Warren, who's a famous circle track racer. He raced super modifieds and raced at the Indy 500 and did all this stuff. We had an absolute riot, and Ron had an event there after we shot, and people from San Jose, California came to New England Dragway to see it because they'd seen it on TV. They said, man, that place looks neat. I got to come to Epping. They came to Epping. I met folks that I met in Bristol last year that they pick one event a year that they travel to as, as, as part of their vacation. And they chose Bristol last year. We had some beers at uh, Michael Waltrip's Brewing Company one night. We ran into them and lo and behold, we saw them again and, and uh, maybe shared some cold ones this year as well at uh, Bentley Saloon. So it's just so fantastic that the little racetrack in New Hampshire can draw people from around the country, can deliver the type of action that it did, and can do so well selling the seats out for two days. And Friday was a little bit of a crummy weather day, but still hardy fans were there. But Saturday and Sunday were absolutely spectacular. A guy who had a pretty good weekend in Epping is Kyle Koretsky, and he's going to be our first guest on the show this week. We're going to talk to Kyle about what his impressions are of his first half of this season and also, of course, the massive news that the Koretsky family are now the, the owners of Maple Grove Raceway, and they are plowing finances, time, effort, sweat, blood, and tears into that place to get it to be the place that they want it to be, the place that they feel they can bring it to be, and it is... Uh, 
It is a very fascinating conversation. So without further ado, I spoke to Kai a little bit earlier today. I now will move us in to our conversation with Kyle Koretsky. All right, to our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast this week, a guy who sits number three in the pro stock points right now, driver of the Lucas Oil Camaro, Kyle Koretsky. How you doing, Kyle? Good. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing good, man. And uh, we're going to get to this, but I'm, I'm actually talking to you from the grounds of Maple Grove Raceway, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just walked out of the concession stand, Nitro Grill here. Uh, they're trying to fatten me up, testing some new... Uh, brisket sandwiches and sausage sandwiches and fries and we're trying to revamp the menu over here and give our customers uh you know the best experience we can give them well that's great i want to uh, i want to get to that whole topic in, in a few minutes but i want to talk about this first half of the regular season uh you know gainesville you runner up at gainesville you're sitting third in the points right now and you know if i'm you obviously you want to win races but at the same time if i'm looking at the point standing sitting third is not a bad place to be no, definitely. Uh, I mean, we're definitely out there every weekend to try to win, but consistency sometimes wins too. So I think it's shown in the past that you don't have to win every single race to, to win the championship. But, you know, every weekend we go out, we try to win and uh, go as far as we can one round at a time. And yeah, third, I, I'm pretty, we're pretty stoked. Lucas Oil is happy uh, as a team. We're happy with our performance. few little tweaks here and there driver related and uh and we should be good <laughs> you know what's what's the biggest difference between uh kyle koretsky as a as a kind of a multi-season veteran now versus the kid we saw in this car a couple years back um i think now with a little bit of seat time it's trying to fine-tune everything and really overthinking it before when i first got in the car i got in and you're just straight having fun and, and doing whatever happens it happens now it's all right, time to get your head straight. And when you have a job to do here, we need to go rounds. And you, you really think about the little things. So now we're trying to fine tune the clutch pressure on my foot versus before. Just make sure you hold the clutch in and hit the tree. <laughs> right. Now it's hold the clutch in at a certain pressure, hit the tree, hit your shift points. You're just trying to fine tune every little thing because, you know, I think it showed this weekend with how competitive our yeah. class is, you know, down to the thou. I think we have three or four. 654 fours and it came down to speed where i kept the number two spot so it's crazy man i hope the fans are seeing that we're out here uh, teams are out here busting their butt to keep up on the on the r&d yeah i mean watching you and dallas run down on friday night he went a 54-3 you went a 54-4 and you know to me the coolest thing about that beyond the fact that the run was so close is the fact you're both kb cars you both clearly have equivalent power and and you know as a guy who's on an engine lease program not that you've ever questioned it but it has to also kind of reinforce the idea that you're getting the same good stuff that everybody else is getting 110 percent. i go into that weekend knowing that my car can win just as much as Greg, just as much as Dallas, Kramer, Hartford, all the KB power, those guys in the shop, um, you know, Greg and, and Jeff being some of the main guys, but there's a lot of other guys in the shop that bust their ass all week long, every day to make sure those engines are, are you know, the best they can be. I mean, there is no, you know, better engine. Uh, they're all the same. And honestly, I think it comes down to some of the performances just down to the driver. Sure. Um, you know, them, them little mistakes add up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can't ask for a better program, better team, uh, you know, organization that KB put together that I know going into that weekend, I let that clutch out, I could win. 
you know, you're uh, now in the track operator business with your family, and and I want I want to get your impressions about being you know at New England Dragway. Obviously, it's one of the smaller venues, but dude, that place was insane. Saturday and Sunday were blowout crowds, sellouts. I think both days, and you know, I was looking down in the pit area from some of our our camera shots from the Fox broadcast, and you couldn't even move. I don't even know how you guys got the cars out to get to the staging lanes. It was crazy. It, it, it was so cool. It's giving me chills talking about it because that's what it's about. It's about the fans. It's about giving them what they're they're there to see. You know, a good show, good racing, and and definitely in pro stock. I mean, we we prove that every weekend and you know in and out that you know we're competitive and we're trying to give everyone a, a good show and and tight racing and. I mean, it took us, I think, like 20 minutes for the pre-ceremony. They want us to be there 10 minutes early. It took us 20 minutes to get through the pits. Greg's driving. I, I thought I was in a drift car. We almost flipped the golf cart. You know, if, if anyone knows Greg, he's the craziest driver you ever meet. And he's blowing the horn. I'm like, oh, my God, we're missing this. We're definitely not making it. But, yeah, it was, it was cool, man, to see the fans shoulder to shoulder. I mean, even for them to come, you know, top fuel cars, they start them up, the crowd goes crazy. We had the crowd going crazy, and Greg's over there revving the engine up on the pro stock car. Like, that's cool. That just shows you the fans are coming back out. They're supporting the support, and, and it, it's it's sweet. It is, and and you know, it's an East Coast racetrack, and and as is Maple Grove, and and there are similarities there, I think, in the fan bases where you know I I put the Maple Grove fan base in in the top three of our tour because you know we've seen it year years and years. It doesn't matter if the skies are gray or sunny. I mean, people are coming out there, and I think that's one of the neat things. And and I think there is, you know, as much as it's kind of lame to say, I think there is a. a, a a different appreciation of pro stock at some of these East Coast races, and there may be in other places. And I'm not taking a shot at any racetracks out there, but I think the fan bases in in the New England area, in the in the the Philadelphia, you know, Pennsylvania area where you guys are at, like they really, really love this class. Yeah, pro stock on the East Coast is huge. Um, they're they're diehard drag racers out here. They love natural aspirated stuff. Um, they just love door car. Uh, you know, any kind of door car action in the East Coast is huge. Um, you know, we have the the national event here. You know, Epic. You have, you know, uh, Cecil County has a Yellow Bull at Nationals. All door cars. Yeah. Place packs house with uh, Jim Halsey. It, it, we have pro my races here. It, just door cars in general on the East Coast, but then pro stock. Like I can't tell you. Just sitting in the stands with my family at the Division One race. My whole family was here, and we. We took like a 20 minute break. My mom was working. Everyone was working. So we went up in the stands, my brother's kids, and I had like 15 people come up to me like, man, we're really going to miss you here this year. No pro stock. Like, we don't even know if we're going to come. I'm like, man, like, I hate to hear that, but I really hope you still come. You know, stay tuned. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> kind of like, hope you guys still come. But it was crazy. I had like 10, 15 people come up to me and be like, wow, like, we love pro stock and that's hard because you watch the fans they, they roll out of the stands at the top fuel but you see a ton of them stay yeah and that, that's cool for us i mean I, I mean i'm a younger guy it's all about the fans um that's that's what we we try to strive to be and interact with the fans and i'm in the burnout box i'm looking up in the in the stands like all right is there anyone still watching us <laughs> <laughs> but you know maple grove it's it's cool we ra- i raced here last year for my first time professionally and it's my hometown. I had over 500 people here last wow. year. And I think this year, I think it's going to double just with our local support. Now that, you know, we, we, my family owns a track and then 
you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I think it's going to be a huge event. we got a lot of cool things planned. Um, I'm hoping everything comes together. We've been working closely with NHRA and their event team, and uh, I think we'll have some really cool stuff that people are going to be like, wow. Yeah, and listen, to, to the dude that was uh, talking to you in the grandstands, I hope he listens to the show because the two words you said are the most operative two words, which are stay tuned, sir. Do not, yep. do not, if you, do not delay uh, in making a ticket buying decision because of something you think might happen because you may be thinking exactly. wrong. We'll leave it at yep. that. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it. We'll leave it right there. But we're we're gonna give the fans the best experience we can give them. This year is definitely gonna be a little rough just because we're kind of thrown in. We're trying to clean the place up, trying to make it nice, uh, give the fans the experience that they deserve, and not just always about the racer. You know, a lot of the tracks worry about the track surface and. I feel we have a very good track surface and yeah. be a safe track, but the fans, I mean, we got to give the fans the experience that they deserve. I mean, they're, they're paying to come watch us and, you know, we need to give them good food, cold drinks, clean bathrooms. That's what it's about for us. Yeah. Wow. And I think, you know, I think there's got to be some value and obviously your dad's a very well-traveled racer for the years he spent out there, but for yourself too, you know, the, the perspective that you have now versus what you would have had a few years ago, having, you know, you've been to a lot of racetracks, but now that you've been to effectively all the national event tracks over the course of a couple of seasons, there has to be value in that. Just kind of putting some things in your back pocket. And I'm sure, I'm sure you look at places and things now differently when you're at a facility than you would have before. 110 percent it's it's crazy it's like every business we get into you know the sign graphic business i never looked at anybody's signs i never looked at anyone's vehicle <laughs> graphics now that's all i do everywhere i go I look at signs how they install them. now that our family owns a racetrack every single racetrack i'm out there in the morning watching how they're prepping how they're scraping which direction they're going why do they do this why do they do that and just trying to learn um trying to take it all in because every every track has its own little deal that's you know, cool. So if we could take a little bit from every little track and try to put it into one, you know, you make the Taj Mahal. Yeah, and it's and it's you know a legacy venue there in Maple Grove, and you know we've had obviously some some negative news happen across the sport with a couple of racetracks down in Florida closing up and Memphis closing up, and it was like man, people kind of are hanging their heads. And then this news came out that that your family had gone through an arduous process to become the new owners of of, of Maple Grove, and it lifted the spirits of the whole sport. I got to be honest, and I'm not just saying that because we're sitting here talking. It was a massively great piece of news for the for the drag racing world to get. Yeah, I, I think it was huge. Um, I think, you know, we stepped up, my dad and our family stepped up big in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, yes, it is a business, but we can't keep losing facilities and venues like this. Um, we need the tracks. You know, we don't want drag racing to go anywhere. I know it's tough times right now, but, you know, we all stick together and, and keep moving forward. Um, you know, we're making some big investments here slowly, um, trying to make the place back to where I remember the stands packed when I was, you know, nine, 10 years old, watching my dad race pro stock here. Um, you know, that's what we want. We want to keep it going, keep the drag racing sport alive. And especially here in Pennsylvania, I mean, it's our hometown. Have you heard, or I guess who was the first kind of uh, fellow track operator you heard from once the news broke? Oh man. Um, I think the first person that probably really reached out was, um, Royce Miller, nice from MIR International Dragway, a uh, great guy. I watched him and his son. You know, me growing up racing, I raced their juniors. 
I raced import cars there, and, and I always told myself, man, if I ever own a track, I want to be just like Jason Miller. Um, <laughs> good guy, he, to, he good guy to be a, like. Good guy to be like. Yeah, he is a bad dude. Uh, <laughs> he's just a hustler. And I don't you know like keep up. He burns a set of shoes off in a weekend. <laughs> uh, it, it's cool that they ha- they take pride in it, and, and that's what we're doing, and that's what we do in everything we do. Um, everything we touch, we take pride in, and we treat it, you know, like it's our only business. So he's probably the first one. Jim Halsey, he's been a big help. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of people reached out. It, either it was, you know, good reaching out or bad reaching out. Like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? Or, hey, you know, welcome to the club and, and anything you need, you know, we're open arms. So that's cool. I mean, we, we're all trying to fight somewhat for the same customer base, but they're all willing to help. And, and that's that's neat. You know, that, that just shows you that drag racing isn't like most sports where everyone's trying to cut each other's throat. Um, there, you know, there's people out there in the same business willing to help you. So, and listen, the, the, the proximity you have to, you know, there's a lot of racetracks in that area that, and people, you know, people from some parts of the country have one track to go to like everybody up here in new England versus, you know, the area that you're in, I think it is super important to maintain those relationships because you're not far from Cecil. You're not far from ATCO. You're not far from MIR. You're not far from XYZ drag strip. So, you know, the best, uh, the best working relationship you can maintain with those owners, I think ultimately it helps all of you to, to work together, whether it's scheduling or just keeping a conversation open or, you know, really kind of advice or whatever it is. I agree. I a hundred percent agree. That, that's the, that's our biggest thing for next year. We're, we're going to really stride to work with the other tracks because there's enough scheduling and time and, and as long as we're not putting events on, yeah. I mean, it's going to happen every once in a while, but yeah, it's inevitable. as long as we're not yeah. slamming, slamming events on each other, there's enough, you know, to go around. I think I have five or six tracks within two and a half hours from me. Yeah. So, I, you know, we live in a crazy, you know, our Division One where I live is probably like prime time drag race central. I mean, I can go three, four tracks in an hour and a half. So, I mean, I know some of my New York buddies, they come seven hours to Maple Grove. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's it's crazy. And, um but yeah, we're excited. We're looking forward to it. And then I don't know if anyone's seen or if they have not seen, they need to check out NHRA.com and look at that video that we did. And, and uh, Brian, you had a big play in it. And then if that doesn't give you goosebumps, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what does. It was great. And I, I was I was very uh, honored to be a part of that. And, you know, the footage, the the drone footage. And, and to me, it's one of those neat things where, you know, we see that we see the track in that in that kind of off season drone footage. And, and we're going to see it full at the national event. And incrementally, we're going to see the work that that you guys are plowing into it and and how, you know, a couple of years from now, we're going to be able to watch that drone footage. And there's going to be parts of that place we might not even recognize anymore. Exactly. Yeah, that's definitely definitely cool to do some before and after uh shots and, and we're, we're cleaning up every day i mean i've been here for the last five weeks every single day you know 15 16 17 hours a day uh working getting new signage uh working on new led lights my new pa announcement system came in yesterday uh phase one of it so that's cool we're gonna start putting that up tomorrow um it's cool we're, we're, we're striding forward and uh we can't wait to show the fans uh hopefully they notice but the, the improvements we've done yeah, and listen, I think there's there's a lot of invisible stuff that happens too that 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 people that people can't see, but obviously is integral into the the success of any business, whether it's a drag strip or a, or a McDonald's franchise. It doesn't really matter in that respect. But in terms of you know the employees and their excitement, and you know we know that 
at a drag strip, the vast majority of the people that work there are kind of weekend warriors. You know, they come in from their regular job and they love drag racing and they get to work, whether they're working the water box or the starting line or the ET shack, you know, they're there because at some part of them, obviously they want to make a few bucks, but some part of them really loves the sport. And I have to guess, I have to guess that the employees were probably as excited as the rest of us as fans to know that a drag racing family had, had gotten hold of the facility. Yeah, I definitely think though. I definitely think so that um, our employees are excited. They they see that we're here. They see that we're involved on a daily operations, and our employees are so dedicated. I mean, I'm not just saying that because we're talking. I tell them that every weekend that to be out here all weekend long and dedicate your your weekends and nice weather to come out here and scrape a racetrack or clean up an oil. Uh, you know, mess clean up on the track. That's dedication, man. I mean, they love drag racing. It's it's really cool to see, and it's cool to have passionate employees that love to come to work. Um, you know, on a hundred degree day, working on the asphalt on their feet ten hours a day. It really shows a lot. It shows the dedication that this uh, team that they put together, and we're adding to the team, and. It's uh, it's neat. It's neat to see it grow, and we're going to grow as a team. This isn't an I effort. This is a 110% team effort, and we're going to build it. Has your dad worked every job there yet? Because I know he was rotating his way through the facility. I know there was one weekend I was we were in the booth with with me, me and Pedregon were in the booth, and he said, "I just got a text from Kenny. He's in the water box right now at Maple Grove." So has <laughs> has your dad made the made the full rotation yet, or what? Yeah, he hasn't quite got the full rotation, but. <laughs> He, he's not scared to work. Um, that's I'll give him that. Um, no one can ever say the guy doesn't want to work. It was funny. He was he was over by. We just redid the bathrooms, the main bathrooms, and he's over there by the girls' bathroom. And he's outside knocking on the door. I'm like I'm looking at him on the, the concession stand. I'm like, what's he doing? And he's <laughs> so I'm like, whatever. Like I'm not even gonna look. I'm not even gonna go over there. Like. A little while ago, um, like a while later in the day, a lady came up to me and was like, I just want to let you know, your dad's the cutest guy ever. I'm like, why? She's like, he was yelling in there. Is anybody in there? Anybody in there? I, I want to mop the floors. <laughs> so he's in there mopping the bathroom floors, making sure there's dish, uh, hand soap and paper towels for everybody. And, and, he, and he's, hey. Uh, that's where we learn it from. It's all about the customer service, and yeah. he want to make he wants to make sure those bathrooms stay clean. Because if you don't have a motor home, and you know we're trying to get the whole family involved to come out to the racetrack, you know the wives or daughters or even you know the little boys they don't want to come to a racetrack and have a dirty bathroom. That just gives a bad taste in their mouth, and now the wife doesn't want to come with the husband and come racing. So bathrooms are important to us, um, and same thing with the food. You got to have those two things have to be good. And yeah, he's in there mopping the floor. I was just like, man, that's my dad. That's great. We, we got more, more brooms, more mops than that this place has ever seen in 60 years. I forget which uh, which track it was or even what year it was or who said it to me, but there was a track operator, kind of a salty old guy. It might have been back when I was with IHRA, and we were talking about stuff. And he said, he looked at me and he said, in a weekend like this, it's about the three T's, tickets, trash, and toilets. <laughs> so there you go. That is definitely, he's trash and toilets. He hasn't got to the ticketing side yet. <laughs> but yeah, we got to keep him away from the ticketing side because it'll really drive the girls crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. man, 
It's uh, it's great. I'm, I'm glad for your success so far this season. Hanging in there, tough right now, third in the points, and uh, it does seem like you're kind of a win waiting to happen. Going rounds every single race, the final round in Gainesville, semifinals and multiple events as well. So congratulations on that success, and on behalf of everybody involved in drag racing, uh, we we send all of our our best wishes and our thanks to you and your family for taking the plunge and investing uh, what you've done in Maple Grove, not just with your finances but also with your time and effort. Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be so fun to watch that place go through renaissance yeah cool i appreciate it, brian thanks for the call uh yeah always uh look forward to talking to you guys you personally and nhra but uh we look forward to it. everyone check it out september 15th to the 18th uh maple grove raceway you know pet boys nationals boom uh, it's, it's gonna be huge you can get your tickets on nhra.com and if you're sitting there chewing on your fingernails saying i don't know if i want to go if there's no pro stock just trust me on something just buy the damn ticket. You'll you'll be you'll be happy that you did. Kyle, thanks so much, dude. Thanks, Brian. See you later, man. How great is it to hear the energy in his voice, to hear the excitement in his voice, to hear those stories of how hard the family's working and the entire family is working so hard at Maple Grove Raceway. Cannot wait to get there. There is more news coming from Maple Grove Raceway. We alluded to joking around a little bit in that discussion, but there is also another big piece of news, positive news coming from Maple Grove Raceway regarding those Pep Boys Nationals in the coming weeks. It is going to be... Let's just say it's going to be a big prideful moment for that family, and we'll leave it at that. We now transition to the Nitro Funny Car category to catch up with J.R. Todd, the driver of the DHL GR Supra, and we're going to talk to him about his 2022 season so far and what he's looking for and looking forward to as we continue on through the back half of the regular season. J.R., how you doing, dude? Good, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, man. Hey, it was good to uh, good to see you last weekend up at Epic, New Hampshire. And you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting beginning to the funny car season, I guess. This kind of first half of the regular season in 2022. When you look at your team, obviously with a new body coming out and all the stuff that you guys have been working through, kind of where do you see yourself right now in relation to where you you'd hope you'd be? Uh, we are definitely not where we had hoped to be at this this point in the season with that. Uh, that new DHL GR Supra, but it's, it's been a struggle. I mean, we were definitely, that's no secret. Anybody can see that, but I mean, the guys, they've, uh, they've been digging deep and, and working through it and Todd and John, I just keep plugging away. And it was definitely a struggle in qualifying for us up there in Epping. Then, you know, we, uh, we, we turned it around there on Sunday and, uh, came out there at the a semifinal finish, which I hate to say, it, but that was like a win for us. Just everything that we went through in the weekend. But overall, big picture, I mean, it seems like Hagen, Robert, and Caps. I mean, they're like the, the top three guys that uh, you're chasing every week, and they're the ones going to the later rounds every week. And we definitely want to be right there in the mix with them. So to be in the semifinals with uh, those three, I feel like that's where we want to be, where we should be. Now we just got to work on just uh, you know staying there and maintaining with those guys. As weird as it sounds, and, and obviously when we talk specifically about Hagen and Height, you know, those guys have kind of run off into their own kind of section of the wilderness. Does it take a little pressure off? Because when you look around, I mean, you're six in the points right now, but the area of the point standings you're in, a good weekend for you and a bad weekend for one or two guys can move you, I mean, into the top five, really into the top four pretty simply. So is, is there a little relief in knowing that, okay, it's not just us that's kind of in this spot that we're trying to get ourselves figured out? Because in reality, there's maybe three cars that seem to have a pretty good handle on it, and everybody else is kind of where you're at. Yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely the way that I see it. I was looking at the points after uh, Sunday night there. I was like, man, if we could just go out and, and rip off a win and you know have some cars in front of us, maybe not have a – so good weekend, but we could definitely move up to, uh, you know, fifth or even fourth, like you said, and going into the countdown after Indy, that's, 
that's pretty much uh, where you want to be is in that, that top half, the top five, and, and then start getting after it from then on. But more than anything, we just got to be more consistent and go some later rounds. And like I said, we want to win some races more than anything. It's been a while since we've won. And, you know, the, as hard as my guys work and the things that they do for me to be comfortable inside that race car, like they, uh, they definitely deserve a win. And that's the only way I can really pay them back. We're, we're going to be coming up to, to Bristol here, obviously, in uh, just about two weeks, less than two weeks now. And that was a spot last year. Made the final round, and, and that was during the fall. It was a bizarre race. I mean, it was freezing cold. Everything was weird. Um, my understanding is they're, like, grinding on the racetrack at Bristol right now. And so my understanding is they're doing kind of a surface grind now that's going to take care of or lessen some of the effects of some of the whoop-de-doos we got out there, and then they're going to come back in the fall and really and really do a hardcore one. But this is a very strange situation because nobody grinds a racetrack two weeks before a race. <laughs> yeah, I had heard they were going to do some, uh, some track work about uh, a week or two ago, you know, with grinding it, and then I heard, you know, some about uh, jacking up the track because I was just trying to get it more – Yes. even and flat compared to uh, as bumpy as what it has been, which it was definitely getting to the point where, I mean, I want to say it was scary, but, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to drive a dragster down that track as bumpy as it was, but it definitely had a lot of character, and like you said, we went to uh, the, the final round there last year with completely different conditions than what we'll see there this year, but with, uh, with a grind coming up uh, uh, a week before we get there, I, I hope they can get enough rubber on it and more more than anything, just put on a good show for the fans there. That's uh, that's an awesome track and awesome atmosphere, and uh, that that crowd they deserve a, a good show. And hopefully, we can provide that for them there uh, next weekend and kind of rep- uh, repeat our performance of. Uh, going to the final round and taking it one step further and, and coming out with a trophy. And look, in in, in, a, in a way, if there's one thing that may cause a Hagen team, a Height team, a Caps team to, to slip, slide, and stumble a little bit, it would it may be kind of an uncertain racetrack, and, and maybe it won't. But to me, it's kind of an interesting variable because, at least in my estimation, we've had fairly consistent temperatures in a lot of these races in terms of the racetrack. And, and you can speak to this better than I can, but – Prep-wise, it seems to be fairly consistent week to week. Obviously, we've gone through periods over the last couple seasons where it's it's varied wildly, but the prep side of things seems to have stayed kind of on an even level, at least to my estimation, so far this season. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely been better than uh, it has been in years past. And with uh, the changes coming there in Bristol, like you said, that could be uh, the ultimate equalizer. You know, the, the higher horsepower cars may not be able to – to utilize everything they got on a, a surface like that and typically it's it's hot and muggy there that time of year you know we're going to start getting into the tracks that are uh, yeah. that are hot and, and more tricky to get down there when the sun's on them so that kind of usually plays into our hand on on race day we uh but we're all going to be in the same boat on a on a green racetrack and it'll uh, it'll be interesting for sure yeah, it absolutely will. You know, you were interest, uh, recently involved in a video for the World of Outlaws series that I saw. This is actually a pretty cool <laughs> thing. And so everybody knows, like, you're super into dirt racing and everything. But I actually didn't know that the big cat, Dodie, was your roommate. I didn't under, I didn't know you guys lived together. Yeah, Brad's sweet, man. He, oh, sweet. Uh, I'm sorry. Sweet. With, yeah. Yeah. He lived with me for probably uh, two years, right when he first started driving for Casey Kane, the USAC non-wing sprint car in the, in the mid and yeah, just by by somehow it became a big cat, and everybody, you know, it's funny. Like, how did he get that name? How did they get that name? We heard you're responsible for. It. Like, well, a TV show is actually responsible for it. But uh, 
but yeah, Brad, he's a he's a good dude, and you know he's come a long way since he lived with me there in Indy. Now he's a three time champ, and it's funny weekends off. You know, being in Florida now, you think I'd be going to the beach and hanging out and relaxing, but I'm flying to uh, Indy tomorrow to go <laughs> watch some uh, USAC midgets with my buddies and take my motor my parents' motorhome out there and uh, have some fun and drink some cold beer with my buds. Oh, that's super cool. And obviously, uh, you know, some folks that used to work with NHRA are involved in that's in the World of Outlaws series now. And, you know, I, I talk to them pretty frequently and, and they're having like the most insane rain soaked season ever. I know you follow the stuff close. Like they barely got a weekend without having one of their races rained out. It's been crazy. Yeah, I mean, as big as fans I am watch that stuff, I feel like I get just as mad as they do when I tune into <laughs> flow racing or, or dirt vision and everything's rained out. There's nothing to watch. So, yeah, I, I'm hoping for dry weather back in Indy this weekend and see some uh, some good old-fashioned dirt trekking. But, yeah, they've uh, they've been struggling. We're luckily, knock on wood, we we haven't had that uh, that bad of luck like they had with uh, the wet conditions. Yeah, we've dodged it a couple of times, but thankfully got our stuff in. Uh, when we obviously we have Bristol, then we're going to come up on Norwalk after that. And you know, to me, that Norwalk race is almost like a miniature version of the U.S. Nationals. We have basically every single category that we can possibly run there. Uh, Wilkerson coined it the 24 hours of Norwalk a few years ago because <laughs> typically we're there uh, all night and all day, every day to get to get the job done. And I guess if you're looking at those two races, uh, and they are going to be run back to back, as challenging as the surface can be in Bristol. How about the kind of just physical toll that, that Norwalk can take out of you for days that range from 12 hours on the low side to probably 16 hours on the high side? Yeah, I was just talking to somebody about Norwalk. Like, man, it never fails. It seems like we always run super late there. Then you got to turn around and be there, you know, first thing in the morning, Sunday for, for race day. But uh, it, it's funny you mentioned it's like the U.S. Nationals, which is, you know, ultimately my home race growing up there in Indiana. It's kind of like that for uh, – Coletta Motorsports. It's the, the home race for them, the closest race to uh, the race shop there in Michigan. So it draws in a lot of the uh, the, the family from uh, the, the team there. And, you know, it, we always have a lot of sponsors show up for that event as well. So it, it's definitely a big race for us. And for me, uh, I'm just excited to have consecutive races. You know, I, we can kind of get in a rhythm. I, I don't like having oh, same, dude. A, week, same. A, a week a week on, then you're off for two weeks. It's almost like you got to go and do a complete reset and kind of remember what you did two weeks ago. So once we can get to these summer races and start clicking them off and getting in a rhythm, that's where I feel more comfortable as a driver. Yeah, a conversation I was having with a guy yesterday. He's like, man, I can't believe the first half of the regular season's over. And I'm like, I can't believe it took us this friggin' long. Like, <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like the the month of May, uh, I, we had a great weekend in Virginia, but it sucked out loud after that. It's like, come on, get out, let's get after it already. But, uh, you know, you look at the calendar, and again, the back-to-back with Bristol and Norwalk, yeah, we have a break after that. But then the ultimate triple, the Western Swing with Denver, Sonoma, and Seattle, and, and you know, Topeka, Brainerd, then, of course, we get to the U.S. Nationals. But, you know, in your estimation, you know, I understand you guys aren't where you want to be right now with you know not having a race win yet, a couple of semifinals under your belt. If you can get out of the end of the Western Swing, and even if it's only one win in this stretch, does that put you in a completely different mindset? If you if you roll out of Seattle knowing that you got one in your pocket before we kind of round the corner to Indy, does that does that really change the game? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. I mean, I keep looking at this this year. I keep looking back to 2017, my first year in the funny car. It just seemed like we really didn't get going the first half of the season, whether it was me struggling driving, just a whole bunch of different uh, obstacles we had to overcome. Then we go out and win Sonoma, and I feel like that's where we kind of gained momentum coming into the, the back half of the season, you know, go and win Indy, then, then, uh, then get going after that. So 
I'm hoping that's kind of what we are uh, setting ourselves up for. I know we've, uh, you know, like I said, we made some changes. We brought out a, another car this past weekend there in Epping. It's not a new car, but made some changes to it to where it's more like a, a new car for us. And it made me more comfortable inside the car, the way I sit and things like that. So just got some more new things coming later in the year that I hope gets us set up and ready for uh, the countdown to the championship and make it run these guys. Yeah, listen, to your credit, you know, as the driver and, and realizing it's team sport, I mean, and and I know you guys like to bust our chops about even talking about this stuff, but I look at the consistency of what you're doing just on the starting line alone, and, and you know, it's a number, and it's a number you guys love to, 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 to cringe your teeth at, but still, you're averaging a 63 light coming, coming into Epping, and you're right there during, in that window as well, so it's like... You know, I always, I always kind of wonder about this, and and it is the nature of a team sport. But everybody has to pull their weight, and not that you sleep any easier, knowing that you know, not that you sleep any easier, or that you're you're any more satisfied with the results of this point in the year. But at least on a personal level, you can't be disappointed in yourself, right? No, I mean I can just go up there and do the best I can yeah. every time. And it's not you know when you're frustrated and down and out, like you can't have that mentality on the starting line because. One of these days, everything's going to line up to where you do your job, the team's clicking on all eight, the crew chief's, you know, knocking on the park, and that's when you go out there and perform at a high level and start winning races. So I, I, I'm not giving up on myself or giving up on the team, and I don't want to be the reason that, you know, we go out there and, and not win one of these things. So I just try to, you know, bring my A game every time we roll up to the starting line. I know uh, my team does the same, and they have my back and I have theirs. And like I said, when it all lines up on the, the right side, we'll, uh, we'll be right there in the mix. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, ultimately that's, that's how it works, right? If it is the point of, of everybody, even when it's, even when it's tough, everybody pulling their own weight. And then when it does come together, it comes together in the right fashion. So, uh, man, it's great to talk to you. And, and just one more fun fact to know and share before I let you go coming into Epping and I haven't done the Epping math yet, but coming into Epping out of 20 competition runs you'd made so far this season, you are second only behind Hagen as far as leaving first. You left first twelve. You left first 12, 12 times out of the twenty, um, which to me is is a neat thing to be because when I look down this list, there's a lot of people on the wrong side of that number. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just now now that you say that, we need to get more attempts on leaving the starting line yeah. first. That's that's kind of where we've been lacking, and he's got more cracks at it than yeah. we have. We just need to, to make up that number. <laughs> well, man, enjoy your uh, enjoy your weekend of uh, open wheel action up there in Indianapolis. Catch your breath a little bit and get ready for uh, what's going to be a great and you know it's going to be a really interesting two race stretch, man. The the Bristol racetrack itself, and then of course the battle that is Norwalk. We have huge car counts in Norwalk. I think we're up over 20, uh, 20 plus on both the funny car and top fuel side. So to me, that's always especially this year when we've had the in most most of the races we've had bump spots it has been very interesting to watch uh, to watch how those are shaken out so enjoy your weekend and i will see you in bristol thanks a lot brian i'm looking forward to it man and that brings us to the end of another episode of the nhra insider podcast thanks to kyle koretsky and jr todd for taking some time with us today get us caught up in their seasons and what they've got going on i think it's interesting to catch up with a couple of guys who are still very hungry for their first victory in 2022 and guys that clearly have their eyes on the prize and will be factors as we go down the stretch here it's uh it's an interesting thing to, to kind of take stock at this midpoint of the regular season, and we'll we'll make this kind of same assessment as we get closer to the countdown when we get to the U.S. Nationals. But I think it's really neat to see who's come out of the blocks really fast and who's come out kind of stumbling a little bit and who's ultimately going to get their act together and contest for a world championship. 
the NHRA Thunder Valley Nationals will be coming up in Bristol, Tennessee at Thunder Valley Dragway or Bristol Dragway the 17th, 18th, and 19th of June. That's Father's Day weekend. If you're in the area, make sure you grab some tickets and come to NHRA.com. You can get your seats at one of the most picturesque and interesting drag strips on the planet, if not one of the most challenging to negotiate. That whole situation is going to be wild to watch. We'll be back next week with a Bristol preview. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast.